ready for another episode of Wandering and Wool Gathering? Good. Here's Foggy. Funky Foggy, according to that. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 39. This week, we are reviewing the latest corn record, The Nothing. We'll get into that in a bit, but I think I can speak for all of us when I say that uh, this, this record, this, this outing for corn is a true piece of art. It's Jonathan Davis pouring his heart into his music to deal with the grief, uh, grief sorry, of losing his wife after a decade-long struggle with mental health and addiction. You can feel it in his lyrics. You can hear it in his vocals. For me, this is music as art at the highest level. Having said that, this morning on CBS Sunday Morning, there was a piece on the Backstreet Boys. I'm pretty arrogant. When it comes to my feelings on boy bands and innocuous pop music in general, many are bands manufactured by handlers who provide the music and the lyrics. The lyrics are usually superficial and cater to a teen and preteen audience. So the piece this morning showed the 26-year journey of the boys. They went from a group selling millions and millions of records to non-existent, to personal struggles, back to a number one selling artist again. While I don't like the music, I certainly respect a teen heartthrob band who can breathe new life into a 26-year-old act and reclaim their top spot at the top of the heap. It's not art I like or even respect, but the effort and success are not lost on me. Perhaps I've grown in my music appreciation. Perhaps. <laughs> I'm Foggy, and with me as always, JPP. Easy listening sounds for the hard of hearing. It's JPP. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Yes. What up? And tea bags. Swinging deep into the valleys of Liptonia. <laughs> able to plunge from high altitudes, only to land with a gentle splat. Receiving only the finest education from his instructor, Earl Grey. It's, it's, T-Bags, too hot for TV. Oh, that's my favorite part of the weekend. <laughs> What's up, guys? I play that backwards. I'm kind of curious what would happen, much like country music. You know? <laughs> I love that. And last but not least, Metalhead Monday. Metalhead Monday. <laughs> yeah, apparently it is boy band time, so you better not be talking smack about my Backstreet Boys. That's right. <laughs> Did you not hear appreciation in there? Yeah, veiled appreciation. <laughs> had to qualify that appreciation an awful lot. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, when I got done watching that, so it did really dawn on me that boy bands usually are like here and gone in a heartbeat and they somehow rekindled that magic with a whole new group of kids. It's insane, but they did it. Is it, is it kids? Is it really? I don't think so. The I don't art. either because I have friends that are still going to see like NKOTB and all of that. And they're super yeah. excited about it. Well, yeah. There were older people there, but when they showed the audience at their current show, there were tons of kids in the in the front section going crazy. So I think it's I think the kids drug along by the parents. Yeah, I like smell that. a fix. I smell a fix. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think that's a dumb business move. I mean, <laughs> right. things have some expendable income. So yeah. <sighs> anyway, two extremes <laughs> this weekend. That was interesting. So. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else have anything enlightening? Well, the weekend we uh, we're coming in on this episode. 
less than an hour or so after the announcement that Rick Ocasek from the cars passed away. Yes. Massive terrible. bummer. You know, um, many people know him for his work with the cars, but undoubtedly a great producer who worked on Weezer's early work, uh, Motion City soundtrack, and many others as well. So um, certainly an icon that had shaped a lot of music that you may or may not have known that he had a part of, but uh, nonetheless, he will be missed going forward. Yes. And it came up this week as well. We talked about uh, one of the corn songs sounding oddly reminiscent of the cars. So. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have to take issue with that, though. I can do it now or we can get into it later. Ah, save it for the ring. <laughs> hey, it's two against one. Right. I'm just refereeing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. If uh, nobody has anything else, we'll jump right in. Yeah, let's go for it. Yep. It's the Lester Bangs inspired challenge. Do we have a song, JPP? Mm -mm. <laughs> so enthusiastic about that. I've had a long week, guys. Leave me alone. <laughs> if you hear snoring in the middle of the episode, I'll just edit it out later. <laughs> okay, I'll hold off on the oh. final paragraph um, because I think it will be an automatic for you probably, but let's see if you can get it based on the other part. It may be a stretch. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so this is the review, and I've pulled out the important parts. My first experience with this record, as is the case with most new CDs, comes in my Honda. I'm sitting at a red light on Webster and Damon, waiting for a left turn. The lead singer is screaming. I yawn with such stretching intensity that I miss my turn. The entire situation strikes me as particularly humorous. Here I am, a 24-year-old white guy with floppy bangs, wearing a tie, driving a Honda, and all the bile that this lead singer can muster, can muster up from his supposedly scorched soul makes me yawn. Sometime over the last decade, music that is intrinsically meant to be menacing, i.e. this group, has become a banal syndicated action hour soundtrack. It's easy to imagine the overproduced grind blaring through a TV screen as Nightman kicks a henchman off a roof. This stuff could be the score to The Crow 4 in space. And this time around, this lead singer has unanimously failed to shock anyone above the age of 15 and under the age of 54. I mean, have you listened to Judas Priest lately? Now that is not to say music must be confrontational, although the best of it typically is. Hmm. Wow. Definitely defines like a time period. <laughs> I mean, if it's they're saying Crow 4, then the Crow series has been out. Mm -hmm. Well, it also suggests that this is a band that had been around for a minute and was still doing the same old tired thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, with a screaming <laughs> lead singer. It's not to say that this person's accurate, <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. true. Mm hmm. Yeah, you, you might have got me this week. I think yeah. my streak might be over. All right, I'm going to read this last paragraph. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, systematically, layers of crust, fuzz, dirt, and whatever else this musician can scrape off the wall in his studio or piled on top, pounding out the same four-note scale. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Ooh, wow. Did he just say fuck? Holden Caulfield rubbed that out 50 years ago. <laughs> What do you think? Wow. I've got two possible ideas. 
given the album we're reviewing right now, it could be the sophomore or junior effort from Corn, or it could be um, from Nine Inch Nails, The Fragile. Given the uh, you know experimental nature and sounds that uh, Reznor pulls as well. Yeah, and he was on the crew. Mm-hmm. I'll say Marilyn Manson. I was going with Marilyn Manson too because of shock value. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess. All right. I'll. I'll. But Paul brings up some good points there with Nine Inch Nails. But I'm still gonna. I'm gonna go with Marilyn Manson too. Paul, what's your final call? Um, I'll say Trent just to be a key differentiator and you know up the uh, the potentials here. It was Nine Inch Nails, the fragile. Bang! Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Well done, man. Yes. Yeah. I kind of figured that last paragraph would do it for somebody. (laughs) Yeah. Cause at first my mind was going to corn, you know, given the uh, screaming and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the one, two, three, four, definitely. uh, Like, I think I know that group. Yeah. It got got me with just like uh, shock value because crow and everything points at nine channels too. I mean, even looks wise and, Mm -hmm. but Damn it, Paul. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Excellent. Good one, Steve. All right. So next week, is that uh, tea bags? You got Lester? Yes. Yes. Tea bags. Awesome. May you find some obscure reviews from the valleys of Leptonia. Whoa. (laughs) All right. Well, that brings us to our new challenge for this week. And this one was issued by Metalhead, right? No, me. JP. No. Yeah. Oh, you did this one? Yes, I did. Um, I actually uh, used the listener submitted request. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. So, you want to remind us? Yeah. So, talking with my buddy Chip a couple, almost a month ago, actually, about the new tool record, brought up a point that uh, 46 and 2 is one of his favorite song endings of all time. And then, he said that would be a cool challenge if you guys pulled out a couple of your favorite song endings of all time. So mm-hmm. Chip, that's what we're doing this week. And uh, I said, if you could find two or three, that would be cool. And after we get done, he sent me a list. I will dig it up and, and we'll uh, read through it. Cool. Sounds good. Awesome. Did we all come up with multiple answers? I have two. I, I have two. Uh, I have, well, I have three, but I have three as well. I can just mention one as a t- runner up, but yeah. So we're good. Cool. Cool. Well, T-Bags, why don't you get started since you have three? Okay. Ironically, we're coming right off of talking about Nine Inch Nails. So um, my number one one was actually <laughs> the first track on the Fragile, Somewhat Damaged. Because um, it builds up with that one-two uh, sound and mm-hmm. it's very minimal. And it continues to build up. And then it builds up to this point where it's just anger and layers of sound and you know, kind of desperation of like, you know, where the fuck were you? And then it just drops out for a second. And you just kind of hear that, that pulsating sound take you out. But that whole section of it building up, because I remember I was just talking about this when we were talking about the challenge. My wife and I drove to Muncie because they had that midnight release of the album. And that was the only place I could get it. So we listened to it on the way back. And I remember thinking that this can't get any louder. And it just kept getting louder. and so and it it was a really cool experience but um yeah so that one's always stuck with me and and then i've seen it in concert before and it's 
it's just as good in concert. So somewhat damaged by nine inch nails. Excellent. Awesome. JPP, you had three? Yes, I had three. Let me pull up my list real quick here because my memory is not so good tonight. Where did I put it? There we go. So one of my first choices for a favorite song ending, it just kind of came to mind. It's more of a concept than it is the, the song itself. But I went with The Unforgiven by Metallica. I know we talked about them recently with the uh, part two and part three, but the classic fade out was used on that song. And while I'd heard the fade out many times uh, on that particular jam, it made me curious on how Metallica was going to end that song live, you know, because it just kept singing, you labeled me, I'll label you. And I dubbed the unforgiven and it just kept kind of going and going and it made me wonder, you know, in the studio, what, what did they do? Well, let's just play that 20 times and see what happens or, you know, and just fade it out or, or what. But uh, nonetheless, um, that was like the first time it really came to mind and made me want to dig deeper on how a band ended songs that they just didn't justify with a hard ending. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, you don't hear it as often these days. I think the fade out is kind of uh, kind of like using a wipe transition in video. It's kind of a styled dated no, no, but nonetheless um, it did work effectively with that song and uh, let the next song kick in pretty hard if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, in honor of the fade out, I chose the Unforgiven. Nice. Cool. And that song also had a, I want to say a surprise ending, but the, it lyrically speaking, as it ended, when it says that old man here is me, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of, I remember that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It was deep, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was black and white video, artsy. <clears throat> yep. Cool. <laughs> yep. No Backstreet Boys, but uh, <laughs> what is? But speaking of Backstreet Boys, Monday, Monday? you're up. <laughs> All right, uh, my first one I went with. This is the first one that came to my mind, um, and I went when I thought of it. I pulled it up and I listened to it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to use that." Uh, there's the last song on Pantera's "Vulgar Display of Power," little ditty called "Hollow." Uh-huh. And uh, the song is, you know, Pantera was, uh, that was what, their their second, like, big album, you know, after they broke. And um, it comes in, it's pretty hard all the way through. Like, Pantera is one of those bands with each album, they kind of got heavier and heavier. And that was certainly the case here. This was a lot heavier than Cowboys from Hell. And... You know, they had done Cemetery Gates, so they kind of already had a ballady song, and this was kind of the last song after all this heaviness, and it comes in, and it's pretty pretty much, you know, pretty ballady, and it's real pretty, and um, it's very powerful and emotional. The lyrics are all about, you know, Phil singing about this friend of his that is in a coma after a drug overdose or something, and, um, you know, it's just... It, it kind of goes on like that. And then, and then around the middle, it kind of hits this bridge part. And uh, there's, you know, it starts transitioning a little bit. And then it just comes in, bam, super heavy with this monster riff. And, um, it, you know, he starts with the his signature fill growly vocals and, you know, it's still about the same thing, but it, he's like gone from like longing and 
you know, oh, woe is me type of feeling to more angry and, you know, why the hell did this happen kind of thing. And um, at the very end, like it's kind of playing out and Dime hits this harmonic that kind of rings out and it kind of ends the song. And then there's like a beat and then bam, it comes back in for about 30 seconds with this just absolutely killer riff. And it's just like a, like a big gut punch right at the end. And it, it really finishes the album off very nicely. Yes. Yes. I need to revisit that. I've not listened to that in a long time. (laughs) Same. I was just thinking that. All right. My uh, first choice was limelight from rush. And, uh, Oh, stop it, Mundy. <laughs> it's every uh, time. Every time. I'm a sucker. No, I went for a while without doing it. And now, thanks to you saying this, I'm not going to pick him for a while. <laughs> You're responsible, Mundy. No, I love it. It's I'm going to write no more Rush now. Um, <laughs> the, the reason I really like it, the, the ending here, is normally, you know, uh, Neil gets all crazy with the drum fills in the middle, but this one, like, rides out with drums. It just hits it hard the whole way. It's like... Um, it's not a drum solo, but it almost is all the way out to finish that song. That's why I love it. I'm going to write a note here. No more rush. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that on my challenges. No rush, no tool, no nine inch nails, no Metallica. <laughs> no <laughs> strike through more rush. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Anyway, tea bags back up. <laughs> okay. Um, this is so funny that we have these guesses for the challenges or for the Lester Bang challenge because my second place song uh, ending was uh, Crypt Orchid by Marilyn Manson um, off the Antichrist Superstar album because uh, it is just, I mean, that song's weird anyway. A lot of songs on that album are really, really weird, mm-hmm. but um, it drops off into this like. I don't even know how to describe it, but kind of like a witch whispering through some electronic filter, you know, like coming through a transistor radio. Uh, and it says, um, prick your finger, it is done. The moon has now eclipsed the sun. The angel has spread its wings. The time has come for bitter things. And it just keeps whispering that. And it's not hard music. It's not like trying to be scary in the way of like, you know, like haunted house music in the background or anything. It's the kind of scary that you get when you're like standing somewhere at night in the dark and you're like, is there something behind me? It's so, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's very, yeah. um, it just, and it fits so well with that album. I remember listening to that album over and over and over again. And that song, that song and that part especially stuck with me. Very cool. That's a great song. That's an album I haven't sat and listened to front to back in a long, long time. Same. Yeah, I did this weekend, so I can't say that, but (laughs) it was for the challenge. So good. Yeah. Once Friday hits, I never listen to anything but what we're reviewing. (laughs) Well, well, I want to do my due diligence. You know, so I probably listened to Corn, I don't know, seven or eight times probably since Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah, I listened to it quite a bit. I've, uh, you know, I. It depends on what I have time for. I had time for a few other things this weekend. So, sure. Cool. JPP, <laughs> I uh, going full circle as well. <clears throat> 
this one more or less ties into live ending, although the studio album version is great too. But um, the live experience of watching Hurt by Nine Inch Nails is um, captivating and breathtaking to say the least. The visual element, the screen, the um, subtleties of the music while you're watching uh, a wolf reverse decompose, you know, and that kind of, or fox and that kind of thing. It's um, just crazy. But the last three notes, and it just resonates forever. You know, I remember we saw them at Pepsi Coliseum and uh, that was the second time we saw them. The first time was at the um, Ball Arena State. in Muncie. Yeah, Ball State. And then um, we caught them at Pepsi Coliseum when they ended with Hurt was, you know, just amazing how long mm. that just kept droning on and you stood there wondering, you know, what's, what's going to happen? Is there going to be an encore or anything like that? You know, and mm -hmm. um, it just felt like an eternity in that moment. But every time I listen to that song still, and I hear that last note hit, um, you know, it's still just, the song's really kind of powerful in its own way anyway, but then, you know, just to have it kind of keep egging on like that, you're just kind of stuck in that moment for a while. And I felt like that was a really good job of, of uh, you know, retaining that feeling as the song ended, you don't get hit with anything else. You're not moving on to, Oh, here's something fluffy. It's just, you know, yeah. you're sitting in, in the muck of it and having to swallow that. Yeah. yeah. I remember that too. Um, one, I think that's kind of a clever way for him to get to the bus without fans. But no, the, yeah, like the pulsating lights that go with that. And then, you know, that whole, the bird taking the, fish out of the water right yeah. on the, right or right on the right uh, oh right on that last note and that mm -hmm. yes yeah, yeah. so perfect yeah. i think i, I still speak say i'll uh, oh, go ahead money i was just say i still say they're one of the best well no they're probably the best live band i've ever seen and i you know i i really would like to see them again for sure yeah they were fantastic you were gonna say foggy I just was going to speak, I think, on behalf of everybody and just I'd like to put a big thank you out there for Johnny Cash for sharing that song with Trent. That was really big of him. Yeah, yeah right. yes, indeed. <laughs> that's, that's funny you say that. Uh, they're um, Seven Dust. I'm a huge Seven Dust fan. So they did this live acoustic album and mm -hmm. they played Hurt, but they played like the acoustic kind of sort of Johnny Cash version. And at the end, well, first of all, they screwed the lyrics up, which is hilarious. Hmm. And then the second thing is at the end, when the audience is applauding, LeJohn goes, Johnny Cash, y'all, Johnny Cash. I'm like, that's not a Johnny Cash song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would think a musician would know better, but I know. whatever. There it's was some quote, though. After Trent got the video back, Mark Romanek directed the video and and saw what Johnny Cash had done with it. I think Trent's quote is like, um, that song is no longer mine or something like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. It is one of the best covers ever. I think most people would agree. It's mm -hmm. got good value to it anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. All right. Uh, back to Monday, right? Yep. Backstreet Monday. So, <laughs> uh, right. don't, Hey, Backstreet's Better. back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, reviewing this new corn, I went back and 
somewhere along the line, you know, their last few albums, I've kind of fallen off track with them. Like I've heard the stuff that's on the radio, but I didn't really, you know, I was kind of, I don't know. I don't know if I would say I was over corn, but I just felt like I kind of wasn't interested that much anymore. Uh-huh. But I went back just hearing this. It made me kind of, I'm like, you know, there's, you know I, I kind of wanted to hear something. So I went back and I listened to the first album and mostly just to kind of com- compare and contrast like their sound then and their sound now and all of that. And um, the last song on their first album is called daddy. And mm-hmm. I remember when I got this album and I, this, this sound that they were making was, I mean, I had never heard anything like corn when their first album came out, there was nothing like them. And this last song, I mean, well, all through the album, I mean, you, you can, you know, I mean, with the lyrics, Jonathan Davis, he, I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Like he doesn't, I mean, there's songs, all kinds, there's a lot of stuff in there about, you know, getting picked on and harassed and for being different and that kind of thing. But the this last song, Daddy, is just... I mean, and you know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to know exactly what is 100% true or whatever, or, or what exactly his situation was. But this song is all about, I mean, it's just about being abused mm-hmm. as a kid. And like your father's in a position of power above you, and he's totally abusing that. And, you know, physically mentally verbally and it's just a i mean the lyrics are horrible 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 and at the end he just absolutely breaks down i mean a crying sobbing mess and uh, at that time i had never heard anything like that and it made a very big impact on me and i I mean i it it was you know there's obviously emotion in music but this was something very new to me i mean who who does that and if you did why would you leave it on the album yep and it's but it's it's very powerful and you know pretty moving and at the time it was brand new Mm -hmm. it's very very powerful yeah. And I think that too, there's a lot of people in the music community that use music as an outlet to cope with similar situations. And so um, while it may be something that was unheard of, I think a lot of people embraced it in a good way in that, you know, they're not alone. Um, somebody shared their narrative that has a similar plot to what they may have endured in some fashion. And it, ultimately it was a vicarious way of helping them get through it too. You know, uh, that's kind of what I took away from it. And, um, you know, even with dark subject material that metal can sometimes explore, you can find some light and some, um, ways to move through some things and, and ultimately feel better when you're done listening. Yeah. When it's personal like that though, it just takes it to a whole other level. I mean, you know, Slayer writes songs about, <laughs> serial killers and all kinds of crazy stuff but something like this like it's obviously super personal and you know it's just like i mean 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's just opening his vein all over the mic. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, that's you take another band like Drown, where the lyrics are about somebody being afflicted by somebody else, too. You know what I mean? Where it's personal impact and um, that type of subject material that goes with the heavy texture. That's that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about there for sure. But yeah, it's a uh, um, hard hitter. And I remember the first time I heard it, listen to I it in the rest. So when- feel like uh, when people heard this, that was weird we had a weird chop so sorry well yeah it was you guys are freezing up on my end so i think i start, started talking over you so oh gotcha no i was just all i was going to say is i remember hearing that um you know daddy at, at the record store when i worked there when we popped the cdn and customers were in the store like i mean in a different way but it's got a me and a gun vibe like the tori amos oh yeah <laughs> that's like I think I used that on something, one of our challenges. Yep. Yeah. That was another one that I was like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just it. When you, when you know they're singing from a personal place, like you just said, and it's that it's not even like encrypted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What I was going to made a career on it. Yeah. (laughs) What I was going to say when I was talking over you guys was I, this, I feel like this was also a moment where other bands heard this and they were like, wait, we can do that. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely were unique when they mm-hmm. came out. There wasn't anything that sounded like them. No. Yeah. And it still really isn't. I mean, to a point there is, but they still are pretty unique in my mind. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you add his vocals. So, yeah. Okay. My last choice is uh, Baba O'Reilly because it's just got that insane... Uh, and if obviously if you've been at a UFC event um, or watched that opening with all of the visuals that go along with that, with the slams and the knockouts and all that kind of stuff, it makes it even more intense. Um, it just builds and builds and builds. It's insane. And the UFC, whoever puts that video together and continues to update it with new videos all the time, um, man, it's just, it's killer. It gets you pumped for the fights. Yes, uh, brilliantly done. I love that one. Pearl Jones cover isn't bad either. Of that, no, no, I just you know, finishing wise, right. when you have the visuals, yeah. it takes oh, it to yeah. another place. And yeah, you guys, you guys took me to that UFC fight in Chicago, and that was that was so cool to hear that with seeing all the visuals and it just gets everybody hyped. Yup, yup, cool. We're back, UT bags. Okay, um, my runner-up, I guess, because I was trying to narrow it down to two, was um, Underneath It All by Nine Inch Nails. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that song at all. I know Paul probably mm-hmm. is, but it just keeps building up. And I remember listening to this um, in my apartment when I had really good surround sound set up. And um, even though it wasn't encoded in surround sound, it builds up and then it drops off to this like really glitchy, all I do, I can still feel you lyrics and it sounds like it's going around in a circle and I'm sure they're just, you know, panning left and right and whatever. But, um, but it's a really good payoff to the song because it just builds up and there's this driving kind of like drum beat to it the entire time. And you just feel like a, your mind feels a little bit of a sense of relief at when one sense, because the, all of the noise drops away, but in the same time you're like thrown inside a tornado is what it kind of feels like. So that's uh, very cool. I think that I can't remember what that goes into if that goes into ripe with decay or not, but it's a really great payoff 
where it sits in the album too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting little break in that regard too. Like, of course it keeps the pulse going, but it, it does contrast a little here and there if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to yeah. revisit it, but, um, but that's the thing about Trent songs anyway, that they all have their own unique identifications, even though um, yeah. he does have a set way he likes to do things for sure. So, Oh wait, sorry. I've got to scratch that. <laughs> I won't talk about this one, but uh, uh, perfect drug mm-hmm. drops off uh, and goes into to that. Okay. So those are tied underneath and all perfect drug. Same reasons. That's cool. my, that's my runner up. <laughs> awesome. And bring us home, JPP. All right. So I'm going to throw, <clears throat> excuse me, a big curveball. Um, the song is called My Ass is on Fire by Mr. Bungle. <laughs> it's a great tune. Mr. Bungle, with, for those who haven't heard of this band, um, definitely start with the debut album with the clown on the front cover. Even if clowns creep you out, just uh, block off the screen and give it a listen. Um, it's certainly demented circus music all over the place. Lots of fun. A um, little explicit at times. Um, but so here, here's the thing. I mean, the album's kind of a concept album in that it continually goes on. There's samples in between the, the tracks. And I really don't count the sample at the end of My Ass is on Fire as it cuts into the next song too, which is called The Girls of Porn. But um, as the song itself is ending, um, it's going on through this like really dragged out riff and he just keeps shouting redundant over it on top of it redundant redundant and just changing the the <laughs> emphasis on the syllable and uh it's it's fun it's you know you're like when the hell is this going to end i remember listening to it on cassette and it's like i'm gonna have to get through this because i don't want to mangle the tape hitting play and fast forward here to the next one so uh, then when i got the cd i was like oh okay i see how this is playing out and then you saw the sample go from uh, at the end of that song into the next song and then they just use those little interludes and kind of cut between them to segue between each track too but um just thought that was a real uh, clever way of, of playing with words and playing with a riff that you really just wasn't going anywhere. They just let it keep doing its thing and noise in between and it would get slower and slower and all that kind of stuff. So just, uh, you know, <laughs> nice little jaunt down memory lane with that album. I actually went through their discography too. I'll talk a little bit more about that later for sure. But uh, uh, that's my runner-up i it, actually it was not so much a runner-up was hard to determine if that was going to be first or second because all three of them had um equal uh, reasons behind them they're all kind of unique to me on the way they employed endings sweet mr bungle yeah i don't remember that one so i'll have to go back and listen to it yeah it's well, uh, kind of <clears throat> you buried the lead a little bit too because you didn't tell it for people that don't know, that's where Mike Patton came from. Well, yeah, I started that's to where say Faith that. No More, yeah, that's where Faith yeah. No More found him. So. Yeah, exactly. So my apologies. I'm I'm really under the weather tonight. So, <laughs> but <laughs> you did yeah, a great job, Paul. Yeah. Nonetheless, yeah, it's you. You hear Mr. Bungle in a lot of what Mike Patton does forward. You know, Phantomas yes. and Tomahawk, oh, yeah. and you know, it's it's 100% authentically him. So. All right. Well done, everybody. Thank you. Good challenge. I I really struggled with this at first. It took me a while to figure out what I wanted Hmm. to do. I did too, and then I struggled because then I had too many. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I need to read uh, Chip's uh, top tunes here. Yeah. 
He yeah. sent over five, since we're not going to go into the details, I'll just read the titles. He also has a couple of honorable mentions. He pulled a tea bags here. Yes. Um, see a doctor for that. Um, <laughs> num- number five is <clears throat> Weezer Surf Wax America. Four is Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. Three is Beatles A Day in the Life. Two is Radiohead Exit Music. And then he doesn't. Oh, yeah. One, of course, is 46 and two by Tool. Yeah. Honorable mentions are Over the Hills and Far Away by Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Only in Dreams by Weezer, which is a killer one. Mm-hmm. Monkey Wrench by the Foo Fighters and uh, Rock and Roll Suicide by David Bowie. Ooh, cool. yeah. Yeah, so Chip, good ones. thanks good for the submissions. Thanks for listening and uh, thanks for the challenge. We really appreciate it. And other listeners, if you have challenges that you would like for us to uh, give a try, feel free to let us know at Facebook at Wonder Wanderings and World Gathering or on Instagram at Wanderings and World Gathering. Or if you feel so savvy, visit us over at wanderingsandwoolgathering.com where we have a contact form and you can just send it to us there privately and we'll read it. Yes, sir. and act on it. That's right, because that's the kind of guys we are. Mm-hmm. True. Stand right. up citizens. Next week's challenge, I think, is you, Steve. Right? It is indeed. So what we're going to do is we're going to put some rules on this. So rules. for this challenge, no rush, <laughs> no tool, <laughs> no nine inch nails, no Metallica, and no Mister Bungle. Fair enough. Well, we'll see. What's the what's the challenge? He did not say no Vidal Sassoon. <laughs> That's actually encouraged. Awesome. Hair metal it is. Sweet. Okay, so the challenge is to take a male-dominated band, preferably a band filled with all males, and you need to replace the lead singer with a female. So name the band and the female. Okay. Okay. Cool. Easy enough. Yep. Challenge accepted. Yes. So, so Rush already has a female vocalist. So, <laughs> but it boom. <laughs> nice. Anyway, right. All right. So that brings us to album review. How'd you know I was going to say that? Just a little birdie told me. <laughs> it's almost like we have this set up. <laughs> So, yes, album review for Korn, their latest. We've already briefly touched on it tonight. So, um, who would like to start tonight? Uh, I'm going to say, before we get going, I want to say one thing responding to Monday earlier. And I agree. I felt the same over the last few albums. I kind of lost touch with Korn. And... um, I I kind of felt like this was the first really truly inspired album since almost back to follow the leader, maybe not quite that far, but pretty darn close. And since then, it kind of tailed for me. So um, I was right in line with Monday on that one. I feel like they definitely scaled it back and got more back to basics on this one, for sure. And I would like to point out that I was 100% correct about Fieldy's bass strings. So go figure. Yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> it's so comforting to hear that, though. I love that. Kind of, yeah. It, it's like it, it bothers me, but then when everything drops away and you hear the bass line, I'm like, okay. That's pretty damn cool. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I would also say that it was used judiciously on this. It wasn't like over the top. There were a few songs where it was really highlighted but um i didn't think it took over yeah a lot, no. so 
Absolutely. Uh, all right, somebody jump in there. Let's do this. Don't everybody get chopping up a bit. One, one, you know, uh, you know, I feel like I've been going first a lot lately, so I was waiting. Yeah, that's true. Tony, what'd you think? <clears throat> I mean, overall, I really, I really liked it, and I gave it several listens as well. Um, but I don't want to just sit here and read my notes. So, how about I throw out like a standout track, and if you guys sure have you cool. guys weigh in too? Yeah. Um. I think harder was one of my, it was definitely up there. It was, I had five standout tracks, which is pretty great for a 13 track album, Mm -hmm. but uh, harder kept um, resonating with me. And what I really liked about it was I just felt like it was really well crafted um, and it was groovy, had a catchy chorus. And um, I don't know, just like one of the songs I kept going back to when I had time to play songs individually instead of listen to the whole album. But what was that on you guys' list? Yep. It was, yes. Absolutely. I, I love the, like you said, the chorus there. I love the line, tell me why my life keeps getting harder and harder and harder. And when you know what most of the focus of the album is about, it just makes so much sense. Yes, totally. Yeah. Why'd you like it, Monty? Um, well, my standouts were like the last three tracks of the, yeah. the album which i feel is almost like a trilogy where he kind of really gets into the you know i don't know the deep end of addressing the loss of his wife and stuff i feel like the last three songs especially are, hit that pretty hard yeah. yeah i i was impressed that the you know some a lot of times when you get to an album it's all like front heavy and then the ending just kind of peters out and it doesn't really bring it home but yeah, I thought I felt like you did on this. It really was significant towards the end, which I, you know. Uh, yeah, I, this this yeah. loss is my favorite song on the album. Yeah, I really love like the cadence of those vocals. Yeah, different styles. Yeah, I'm with you guys. It felt like it was like good anyway, but it was growing. And, and most of my standout tracks are in those that last part of the album too. What about you, Paul? Where do your standouts sit? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I really liked the groove on Can You Hear Me? It just kind of mm-hmm. had a drive to it and just a, a general tempo. Now, I will say this. Um, listening to the album, I came into it without any prior knowledge to the concept of it at all. So, you know, Stephen, you mentioned that I was like, oh, crap, I, I didn't, I had no idea. So I am terribly sorry to hear that for Jonathan and for the family as a whole. Um, I, I did not, you know, hadn't been following in the news. And so that's on me, but um, I would definitely give this album another listen with that perspective in mind. Um, As um, you guys remember, when I wrote my last album, it was over the grief of my dad too, um, in its own way. So Mm -hmm. um, that certainly resonates with me as far as, you know, going through um, writing as a process to to handle the grief for sure. So um, overall, when I listened to the album, um, I think maybe because I was kind of disconnected as well, I did enjoy path of totality. Um, that had some dubstep elements to it. And, um, I think I picked up the album after that too. Um, I'm I'm drawing a blank on it right now, but, um, nonetheless, I mean, corn did the same thing with, with me where it's like, I, I kind of fell off the wagon with them for a while. And so going back into this initial impression was, 
I'm kind of hearing elements of the first album and now knowing that there's a lot more emotion involved into the, the concept of it, I can see why. So um, I'm going to have to dig deeper and deeper into this. I, I will admit when I listened to it, uh, my mind was pretty distracted. I had headphones on, but I had 50 other things going on in my mind. So um, I was trying to give it an earnest listen, but my, you know, my thoughts were just kind of taking over. So um, I'll have to give it a more candid review especially after the updated info. Yeah. Hey, I want to follow up with, uh, he mentioned, can you hear me? Um, the lyrics, it talks to me, it holds my hand, showers me <laughs> with things I can't understand, has no reason, knows no time. It's constantly watching. So it's not left behind. Did you assume that's talking about grief or pain? Um, metaphorically? I can see that for sure. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Grief is something you feel when you feel it. You just kind of have to ride it out. You can't control yeah. when the waves yeah. hit. I wrote down the front the first four lyrics or four four lines I wrote down is something that struck me. But skip into the last two. It says it loves to feed, it loves my past. It's always taunting, but somehow out of grasp. And so I do feel like that that is you know, grief is that one thing that just kind of sits heavy, but you can't there's nothing you can do. You can't like you can't mm -hmm in a way that you want to, where you just want to smash it and get rid of it, you know? Right. So yeah, that's a great song. It really is. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Monday, you said you wanted to say something about that. Cause we said it has a cars esque feel to it. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. You said that you suggested that it sounds like the cars and I would disagree with that. I see what you're saying, but I feel like, it sounds it has more of a vibe of the song cars by gary newman i feel like there's more of a gary newman influence in that song than the the band the cars well you're wrong okay let's move on <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to go back and listen to it again that way i don't know it just really i don't know struck me anyway i feel like i it can was hear more, it uh, i was just gonna say i feel like it's more um like a soundtrack for the movie cars. Oh, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see them, you know, <laughs> racing around the dirt track in the middle yeah. of the desert. <laughs> okay. There you go. No, sorry. I just had to weigh in. Go ahead. All it's your turn to say a dumb joke. Go. Oh, I got nothing. I was looking at the discography. Just to kind of. <laughs> to zone out. No, not really. I just wanted to take a look and, and just see the, the path from, the first album to now and um yeah. you know follow the leader in what came out in 98 and then uh, of course life is peachy that came off the debut album which still had a lot of emotional tie and some intensity to it as well and mm. i was just trying to look and see where i like follow the leader started to get kind of in in the business to me that's where um they that's where Ross Robinson dropped off. I think, I don't mm -hmm. think he was involved with that. So their sound definitely changed when Ross stopped yeah. producing them mm -hmm. and they got more, a little more commercial. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I will say, you know, even with lineup changes with Severia out and then, um, uh, head in and out as well. One of the things that I really enjoy about their sound now is Ray Luzier on drums. Yes. Dude is a madman. Yes. He's just solid, thick, punchy, and he really accents the guitar parts so well. Um, just 
really killer to listen to. He's great with KXM as well. I mean, he's just a, a phenomenal drummer. Um, I was going to mention him as well. I love him in this band. He's so good. Mm-hmm. And he and, sounds good as well. They produce his drums very well. Yeah. And yeah. I've enjoyed watching live performances of the earlier material with him too, because he does a great job with it. He doesn't uh, uh, overemphasize it whatsoever, but it still sounds like him, but sounds like classic corn at the same time just solid and tight um the uh it was, what, i'm trying to think which album it was and i don't want to take a ton of time on it um i can't remember i got one of their albums it came with a dvd where they're out in a cornfield with crop circles and they're playing it seems like a really hot day and they're playing live and he's just sweating his ass off the whole band is for that matter but um it was killer they had a pa out there they recorded the whole thing and um looks like they they were miserable as far as like the weather conditions go with the heat but uh, it's a, a great performance that was the first time i saw him with the band and i was like okay i can i can see you know a lot of uh good things happening with, with the band at this moment so um i'll dig it up and put it in the show notes it's just slipping my mind at the, at the current moment okay I'm going to throw something out here um, since we're talking about production and emotion and see what you guys think. But I really loved the intro, especially the bagpipes. I know we talked about that on text, Mm -hmm. but um, for me, and this is uh, maybe this is kind of a dickish comment, but like the sobbing seemed like way too upfront for me. Like what they're trying to do. Okay. I was, no, I was going to touch on that too. I was going to mention the same thing. I love the bagpipes, you know, Corns used that several times over the years because Jonathan plays and that's awesome because it's different. You don't hear it all the time, but yeah, I was going to say, especially I use daddy. And like when I first heard that, you know, it was insane and nobody had ever done that. And it's great. And then here, like 25 years later, it's in the intro. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Whoa! I don't know if that's a good move or not." <laughs> well, we knew what was coming, and it, yeah. it did yeah. come. See, I felt like the tone was set by the music and the other stuff that was going on vocally too. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I don't even mind the sobs necessarily. I just felt like if they would have been like buried, it might have been like foreshadowing. But it was so upfront, yeah. it kind of took me out of the out of the intro song. Yeah, same. I got the same thing. Um, another one of my songs I really liked was Idiosyncrasy. And it had my favorite line on the album, and the dark seems to light my way. Yes. I love the, the way that he crafted that. Um, it's like, uh, every time I get too close, the light proceeds ahead of me. He just can't find happiness. You know, he's just stuck in this, you know, state that he's in. He just, he worded things very well on this album. It's very well written. I totally yeah, agree. I wanted to touch on, I mentioned like my standouts are the last three tracks. And I said like that, I feel like that's kind of those last three songs are kind of like degrees of his grief, like harder, you know, it's kind of like, why does this shit always, why does this keep happening to me? Why me? Why, you know, everything, everything will go good. And then my life just keeps getting harder and harder and harder. And Mm-hmm. Um, then on this loss, it's like, it's almost like he's finally feeling the full weight of this loss and he's trying to figure out how to deal with it, but it kind of, you know, he's not, it ebbs and flows and good days and bad days and stuff like that. And then on surrender to failure, it's, I mean, he's just straight up 
blaming himself for missing signs and, you know, not seeing things. And I, he says I failed. Mm -hmm. So it's, I feel like that's almost like a trilogy of grief. I think that's a great point. I I see Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I could totally see that. And Cerner to fail, my only notes were heartbreaking, honest, dark. Mm -hmm. It really was heartbreaking to hear that, like, you know, just the actual, like, admitting that he failed when it's, you know, not his doing. He can't turn back time, like he said in the song. Absolutely. I like the Ringmaster, too. That was another one that stood out for me. I think that one was... I put mediocre. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) What did you love about Ringmaster? I like the lyrics. More than anything on that one, but there wasn't a song on here that I didn't like musically. Yeah. There was nothing I'm like, oh, God, you know. There was nothing like that. There were just a few that that kind of heightened for me when I read the lyrics. Yeah, I same for me. I feel like some of it was like, okay, this is corn, but mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like amazing or breaking the mold or anything. I'm like, okay, well, this is corn. It's good, but yeah, yeah. That's how I felt about "You'll Never Find Me." I put that down as like a classic corn track. Mm-hmm. It was good, um, but yeah, that there was just something about the end of that album that just sold me <laughs> on it. So, any last comments before we rate it? Um, yeah, I wanted to say, did you guys watch all the the three videos they put out? I did not. I haven't seen any of them yet. <clears throat> yeah, I would suggest watching them. Um, the one for Cold is really cool. It's I I think they call that one a visualizer, but I mean it might as well just be a video. It's it's animated. It's very cool, kind of trippy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh but yeah in one of them i think it i can't remember which song it is but anyway one of them is basically a commercial for a podcast and they are it's called corn presents the nothing and it's it's basically like a scripted dramatic podcast and Mm -hmm. from what i get i listened to the preview of it on iTunes because that's all that's up right now. They haven't released episodes yet, but it's like, uh, it's basically deals with some kind of cult leader and some journalist is like going into their compound to interviews, like the first big interview with this cult leader. And it just kind of goes from there. So I don't, that's really all you get from it so far, but it's like a scripted thing. I'm surprised none of us did mention Cold, by the way, because that was an excellent track. Maybe because it was one of the early released ones, but yeah, yeah, and probably one of the more friendly ones. Yeah, for sure. I don't know about friendly. Radio friendly. <laughs> How about radio that? Friendly. Yeah, <laughs> not not friendly like my chum, but you know, because uh-huh. he gets pretty nasty in that one with the growly yeah. vocal stuff. Uh, yeah, it sounds right. good too. Do we want to rate it or? Is- Let's do it. JPP, did you get enough in to to rate it? Well, you know, again, I'm going to have to give it a more candid review, but just based off of my attention span at the time, I was giving it three and three quarter. But, you know, I I need to dig into it more intimately for sure. Um, Just kind of dig, dig deep. And I think really for me what it boils down to is 
I, I've heard a signature sound for a long time and um, well, well, much like tool has a signature sound and um, they did a lot of their elements as well. There were still a lot of surprises. And I think, you know, now knowing the subject matter more intimately that that's going to change my perception a little bit. And I, I'm, I, you know, like I said, that was just an initial impression, but you know, I'll have to dig deeper and see if that changes for sure. T-bags. I gave it a 4.25. I thought it was solid and I will listen to it again. Monday. Uh, I was a little harsher, I guess. I gave it like a three and a half. Mostly I enjoyed it, but nothing really like amazed me or anything. And I don't know. It just, it, I'm happy that they're getting back closer, you know, to basics on their sound. But I, I it was mostly that, like I was listening to it and I'm like, yeah, this is good. It's corn, but you know, whatever. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I gave it a, a good solid four out of five. Yeah. Um, and I definitely will listen again. Yeah, I will too. Tony's rating was my hourly wage at, at the BK. <laughs> Back in the That's 90s. my hourly wage. Actually, oh. I didn't much when I was athletic director, when I divided my hours out, I was <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so this brings us to a, an issue for next week, gentlemen. I looked at the albums that are being released next week and there wasn't a whole lot there that looked intriguing. Hmm. So do we need to go back in the annals of history and, <laughs> and not the annals? Of history. Don't be digging in my annals. I see your eyes over there all lighting up. He's an ant. <laughs> uh, it's all about <laughs> spelling. <laughs> yes. True. And pronouncing. So, uh, any ideas, gentlemen? Monday, you want to kick Sacred, Sacred Reich their way? I mean, I I would love to do that. It's I mean, it's not going to be any shocker for me, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how you guys want to like stay. We've been doing a lot of metal recently, so it's whatever. It's just a Which, thrash band that was on a break and only did live things for some time. And they've released an out first album in 20 some years, 23 oh, years, 23. Yeah. When did it come and, out? Last uh, month. Yeah. A few weeks ago it's, and it's actually, it's like eight songs. It's like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <real> cool. <laughs> I'm game. If you guys are. Yeah. yeah. It's a reader's digest album, but it's, uh, you know, it's worth taking a listen. Okay. So right. the band, <laughs> You were freezing up for a second, Monday. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. I again, you guys were freezing up on my end, so I'm just talking like an idiot. So, yeah, I was just gonna say the band is Sacred Reich. The album is Awakening. Awakening. Okay. Yep. Alrighty. Sounds good. All right. So next week we're gonna have a Rushless Toolless Nine Inch Nails Metallica Less Mr. Bungle List episode with Sacred Reich. <laughs> and what other bands we can dream up to stick a female in front of and Lester Banks. He will make an appearance. Right. Yeah. Did you guys we have a last week? See what in the show notes last week, I put like a, I don't think it's a full podcast or anything, but like an audio episode of like uh, a bunch of information on like the life of Lester Banks. As a yes. Band. I did listen to that. Yeah. I did I not. 
I got halfway through. I got to listen to the rest, but pretty interesting. So yeah. Cool. Did it say we were going to get sued? No. <laughs> no. He is deceased. He is deceased. His family could no, because we're inspired by. Yes. There you go. We yeah. wouldn't be excited to be inspiring people. Yeah. That's so right. It falls under parody law or something, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Especially after we get the music for it. Right. Um, Speaking of anybody, music. Uh, see or hear anything exciting this week you want to share? Yeah, Uh-oh. I did. Bundy's I did too. Go ahead, Bundy. Well, we were talking about Ray Luzier and his other band, uh, KXM, which is him and Doug Pinnock of King's X and Beauty and Chaos fame. And, um, uh, oh my gosh, George, George Lynch, Lynch yeah. formerly of Dokken and, you know, Lynch, Lynch Mob. Mob. Yep. And they are pretty killer. And they've been, this is their third album. It actually came out, I think, on the same day the new Corn did. And uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's three of the best at what they do all jamming together and it, it's pretty tasty so i was enjoying that what's the name of the album it is called circle of dolls got it and also the mongolian metal band the who h-u <laughs> not to be confused um their debut album finally came out is this called i have no idea how to pronounce it but it looks like the Gehrig, G-E-R-E-G. So, but it's it's pretty awesome. I, I don't, I have a hard time calling this metal. Um, it's, I mean, it's very ethnic. They, they are Mongolian. They do like the, you know, some kind of throat singing and stuff. <laughs> but I had it on today and man, I really enjoyed it. it it's really good. It's just something different. Still heavy and intense uh, experience, yeah. I take it. So, very yeah, cool. but they use like uh, you know traditional Mongolian instruments and stuff like that, and with the bass and guitar and stuff, and it's pretty cool. Nice, very excellent. Um, I read a article this week on Pink Floyd and Paul. I think you'll appreciate this most out of everybody. But there is an album that never made the light of day called Household Items. Hmm. And apparently um, it was right after Dark Side of the Moon and they tried to make an entire album not using any musical instruments and it was taking too long. And so they ended up scrapping it, but they um, like they said that they figured out that after they were had recorded enough times, like hitting a rubber, putting a rubber band over pencils and hitting a rubber band to get a bass sound. Mm-hmm. maybe musical instruments are really good for making music <laughs> a lot of times just to try to get something. but it's called you know what that reminds me of what's that that makes me think of uh I and mean, who knows if it's even close to saying it right but that german band the uh, einstrasende newbotten no mountain, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were all it was industrial in the harshest <laughs> sense of the word where they're just banging on metal stuff and machinery and Yeah. Have junkyard will travel. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll have to read that article. Put that in the show notes for sure. Okay. For for I will. <laughs> cool. Uh, I love that that's the realization. <laughs> the hey, what? are good at making music. This rubber band is bollocks. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so, you know, looking for song endings, I was digging through 
the library of Mr. Bungle, which put me into a rabbit hole of Mike Patton. And, you know, then I got into the Melvins and um, started digging into some of their discography. And I came across an album that they did with Jello Biafra, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also found one they did with the singer from Godhead Silo. It's like Mike and the Melvins. It's pretty interesting. Um, you know, Buzz Osborne just has this sludgy tone that, man, I hear it and, and I smile, you know, it's just like, wow, there's, there's just something about, you know, a three piece band that just sounds so huge that, uh, you know, I just can't help but enjoy it. So I was on a Melvin's kick and I was definitely on a Mr. Bungle kick and um, a real quick synopsis, Mr. Bungle's debut album, loved it. It was fantastic. Disco Volante. I was a little disappointed when I heard it because it came out after waiting and waiting and waiting, at least in my mind. It's like, I want some new Bungle. And listening to it now, I come to appreciate it, even though um, it's very avant-garde and and out of sorts from what I normally listen to. It's certainly like, you know, kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, it's certainly right in the the vein of their their path of of progression. It's still enjoyable in, in many ways. But California is more of a kind of a song focused type album with them cool textures mike really did a lot with experimenting with vocal effects and there's some classic um like real twangy guitar surf guitar type uh tones as well as just great organ work and stuff too so um all three albums definitely show the talent and and the genius behind every musician in that group and um while they're not formed anymore i'm excited to hear how the live shows next year come about with dave lombardo and scott ian but uh, you know nonetheless uh, if you haven't heard some crazy music like mr bungle i do highly suggest just get, at least giving it a listen and let me know what you think out there listeners because um it's certainly a, a, a extreme left-hand path in the metal community because there's heavy elements but then it goes psycho for sure so um like to hear how your ears uh, handle it is what I'm getting at. Well, I remember when you first found them and you played them for me and I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> That's okay. I, I, said, I, I said the same thing about white lion, but go on. Yeah. I, I appreciate them a lot more now, but it's, it's, they're never, they will never be a band that I just sit and be like, Oh, I think I'm going to put on some Mr. Bungle. <laughs> You have to be in the right mood for it, for sure. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that through that rabbit hole, I, I popped on Faith No More's Angel Dust, which in my opinion is their best Faith No More album ever. Definitely good. I can't wait to check out Mr. Bungle. So I'm, I'm stoked. I'm giving you a review. Yes, but uh, please don't listen to it at the school. You might get kicked out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm the only administrator there tomorrow. I'm doing it. I might play it on the loudspeakers <laughs> over the hallway. Yeah. Well, may I suggest the girls of porn then? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds. Ooh, do I want to look for a new job? Yolo. I'll weigh that out in the morning. <laughs> this morning's announcement, folks. <laughs> um, all right. So for me, uh, like I said, once the album drops, that's usually what I focus on. But um, I had a little bit of time where I was doing some work and I just put the headphones on and um, I'm so far behind on every podcast ever, but on uh, Wern Word Balloon with John Suntress, um, whenever he has like an old creator on there, somebody from the comic industry uh, who was back in the, well, 
this this one was about a guy back in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, there's a lady who wrote a book on this guy, and so she's like the foremost expert on Gardner Fox, which hey, I'm nice. sure Mundy knows who he oh, is. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but I, there were some things that I didn't know, which was pretty cool, um, it, especially with, you know, he created The Flash and um, Sandman. There were a lot of characters that he did. He was big with JSA and uh, the early creator of the crossover event. But I didn't realize that he took over and did some writing on the second, no, the third issue of Batman. He's the one who gave him Batarangs, gave him a Batcave, and then controversially gave him a gun. Um, so there was just a cool conversation oh, yeah. about some of these old dudes. So um, Batman's got like, a gun. Exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, back then for kids, that probably wasn't the best thing because, you know, whatever. But um, So that was it for me, I think. That and corn. Corn. No, no rush, Mundy. <laughs> Take that. all right anything else for the good of the cause bedtime yep (laughs) bedtime for the cause all right we will be back next week with sacred reich a follow-up to mr bungle and a couple of challenges sound good sounds fantastic let's do this all right everybody bye now it's not me it's not me It's not me. 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 It's not me.